I want to talk today about uh, my POV today is there's more. And uh, how many people know what we talked about last week? God's talking about his kingdom come and his will to be done. And how important that is. And I love to make things practical. Um, I think the big question today is who gave the kingdom to David? And we're going to talk about David and Goliath and to know that all things are possible. We start to look at that world. And 1 Samuel, we're looking today, 1 Samuel 17. We'll start with verse, verse 1. And uh, we've been talking, as I say, his kingdom come and his will be done. And verse Seven, verse 1 of uh, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. It's essentially, if we can make it very practical, it's talking about two kingdoms. We understand that Goliath is uh, representing the worldly kingdom, David representing the kingdom of God mentality. And how important it is to, as we've been talking about, to be kingdom-minded people. Kingdom-minded people talk different, they act different, they walk different, they respond different because they're people who represent the kingdom and they know what the kingdom is and what the kingdom isn't and they represent it well. And this is the hour that we actually live in, I believe. And here's a great example of the two kingdoms clashing. They're coming together. How many people know that in the past there's been the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness have clashed over values, over issues, over society issues, over things that, that are voted in, true? And the kingdom of God or Christians have, have clashed with, uh, with the political responses, the political answers, just on one example, isn't it? But there's other areas that we can clash, maybe in our workplace with someone who's not a believer and you can clash in, a, in an interesting way. Uh, let's take a look at that today because this is the battlefront that we're, we're coming to today. And many people would understand the story and get the story. Um, for those who are new today, maybe haven't, let's pick up the story in verse 3 of uh, chapter 17. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath uh, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Uh-huh. That doesn't sound much when you read it because no one knows what six cubits is. But how many do we work it out in metres? 3.454 metres high. Okay, so he's pretty high. 11 foot 4 inches, Danny, if you go back to the old language. He is a big guy. Says that he's almost as wide, you know, he's, he's a big person. Is this guy, you know, like I don't you probably haven't met anyone like that recently other than it came out yesterday, but there was this is this is a it's called a champion. He's a big person. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and his weight of the coat was 5000 shekels of bronze. How much is that, Taylor? A lot. Very good. He had bronze jeeves on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and the shield bearer went before him. I mean, this he's got a, like this massive beam that he carries, which is his javelin, his spear, that they say that one man, one man like Danny maybe, could just struggle to carry it, this beam. He's got it in one hand. He just whips it around like a spear. It's javelin. He throws it. <laughs> That's pretty big, huh? Yeah, well, okay. Some of you guys just, the gym, you're tougher than that. When was the last time you threw one of those big barbells like a javelin? That's what we're talking about. That's, that's huge, eh? Maybe for a big bloke, it wasn't that big. Maybe for you, it's not that big. But And he stood and he cried out to the armies, which was, this is Goliath, and said to them, why have you come down to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And... 
you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. They say in some cultures, and it's reflective in the Bible whether this is true or not, but they say in some cultures, they have it where instead of the armies fighting and you know millions or thousands of people getting killed, they just represent the strongest, biggest, bravest person. And the two of them fight from each army. Whoever wins, wins the battle. So I haven't wasted any money on bullets or, you know what I mean, like killing thousands of people. It's just, that's the end. Um, some people say, well, who would be stupid enough to put two people up to fight and they would represent everybody? So there's a, two ways you can think about it. Uh, but this is what's happening here. Goliath has stepped up as being the representative for all of his people. And they all go, if you can kill him, man, you're... Because mm, he's not lost anything <laughs> since we've been back in this guy. Verse uh, 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words, because uh-huh, uh, Goliath they're saying, give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They were greatly excited because they had someone bigger than Goliath who could beat him up. Now it says here in verse 11, they were all dismayed and greatly afraid. I don't know when was the last time you were greatly afraid. Now this isn't you writing it. This is someone else writing it about you. They were greatly afraid. I don't know what you look like when you're greatly afraid. But it's not just afraid. You haven't just seen a horror movie. This is greatly afraid. My life is on the line. Our country's on the line. What are we going to do? And it goes on and talks about this this, uh, young boy called David. Um, David, Verse 15, David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And it goes on, verse 17, And Jesse said to his son David, Now take for your brothers some lunch. So he took some dry grain, ten loaves, and went out to their camp and so on and uh, verse 20 says so David rose early in the morning and left his sheep with the keeper and took the things and when Jesse had commanded him went out and did that verse 22 and David left his supplies or his baggage in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers when he talked with them there was a champion the Philistine of Gath Goliath by name coming up from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to, to the same words and David heard him he does not David heard them this is a young bloke And all the men of Israel were there and they saw a man, they fled from him and they were dreadfully afraid. Isn't this interesting? You know, have we got any young man that's 15 here? Anyone 15? No, not Peter. (laughs) You're 16. Anyone 15? A girl that's 15. Anybody that wants to be 15? (laughs) You're 15. Okay. So we've got a guy that's 11 foot tall and a 15 year old boy. He says... Okay, I heard it for myself. This isn't third hand. I heard what this big guy said, and it's true. It's true what he said. All the men, all the men. So we've got a 15-year-old boy there. Uh, Sorry, what was your name? David, no? (laughs) Gideon, beautiful. So Gideon's there, and he is 15 years old. He's a little fella, like Gideon is like that. He's He's not like Goliath, but he's the hero amongst all the men. Because it said all the men, all the men, men were chicken. Even a kinner. He was scared. But Gideon's not scared. He's ready to go. David wasn't scared. He's ready to go. What was it different about David than all the other men? Come on, all the men, all the men. Not just some of them, all of them were too scared. 
too scared. It says extremely scared, very terrified. Huh? And they, they were, it says they were dreadfully afraid of him. Not just afraid, dreadfully afraid. I don't know what you look like when you're dreadfully afraid. Give me a dreadfully afraid look, everybody. Uh-huh. And then 26, and David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy the armies of the living God? This is amazing. Because this is a young man, David, who's interested in the kingdom of God. And he's in this position. And here, here it's, it's, it's brought out really well. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? What's the, what, what, what do I get out of this? They go, well, you know, you get the king's daughter or something, you get a house, you get a, you know, you get a, a flat, you get a car, you get a chariot, you get horse, you get, a, you know, chickens or what? You get, what do I get out of this? And they go, well, if this happens, you get all of this. David goes, all right, this is getting better all the time. Uh-huh. And so he starts to line up to get better this. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Here, this is, the, this is, a, this is where, number point one, where the worlds clash. Here we understand that many, many times to the kingdom-minded people or to the Christian people, the world has set a standard for what the battle should look like. Who's going to defy the armies here like this? And so you realise here's David who's standing up saying, who's the man who doesn't have a comfort, a covenant with the living God who's got a big mouth? Goliath's his name. Doesn't have a covenant with God. And many times the Christian church, even in this hour, as I start to see, we've got people who don't have a great or the right foundation of their faith. And when the pressure comes on them, they retreat into a little corner, in a little huddle. And the world dictates the standard for the church. Dictates the standard for our behaviour. We're backed into a little corner because we haven't spoken up on the inside and said, who are you to give me orders? Somebody who doesn't have a covenant with God. Telling me what to do of someone who does have a covenant with God. The mark of the early church was boldness, not rudeness, not weakness. The mark of the early church was boldness and how important it is. He says, who shoots this this uncircumcised Philistine? Not a covenant with God. And here he is, defying the armies of the living God. Uh-huh. And, and you love this. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a word or matter to be looked at? Then he turned from him and toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go and fight the Philistine to fight him for you, but you are youth and he is a man of war from his youth. See, not even the people who he needed to believe in him believed in him. But David had something on the inside. But David said to Saul, verse 34, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And the lion or the bear came. He took the lamb out of the flock. I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when I arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Woo! Don't you love this guy, man? Come on. He's only 15, remember? No one's encouraging him. 
He's got something on the inside. See, how it converts simply sometimes into church life is that people come along and get involved and, and, and you know, like maybe it's hospitality in the kitchen or whatever, and they get involved and, oh, you know, the, well, you know we, we don't have enough meat this week. There's, there's hundreds of people that want to stay for lunch and we don't have enough roast. Let's lay hands on the roast and let's believe for multiplication. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and all of a sudden there's enough food to go around and everyone's fed and, oh, there's food left over. Uh-huh. So the test all of a sudden becomes a testimony. Uh-huh. And then there's something else in the life of the church and hospitality. Oh, there's no other people. Oh, we'll just believe God. And let's make this happen. And all of a sudden, the things that you do in serving the Lord like that are the lions and the bears. And when the true fight comes to your life later on, maybe five months later, six months, six years later, the true fight comes, you bring the win of the lion and the bear to the equation. Many people, many people, this is the problem. Many people run away. Oh, I got offended. Oh, I got hurt. I'm not doing that anymore. I can't even organize the food properly. And they run away. And when it comes to the true battle, they don't have what it takes on the day. And you end up looking pathetic and weak and, and, and you just don't have the guts to do it. Not even the men had enough. We had to find a 15-year-old boy that had this sort of courage built in him. You know why? Because he used the silent part, the quiet part, the isolated part of his life, studying the law, practicing, getting fit, practicing on birds and stuff like that, and, and you know, hitting them with stones and stuff like that. It wasn't that Goliath was too big for David. <laughs> Goliath was that big, he couldn't miss him. That was his kingdom-minded mentality. Everyone's oh, he's so big, he's so big. David's going, awesome. I'm not going to be able to miss a guy that big. <laughs> I'm used to hitting sparrows. <laughs> and so a person who has a kingdom-minded approach has such a different attitude to a rich situation. And can I say it again? When the world starts spitting standards at us, we're not retreating into the corner. We're going, hey, you're uncircumcised. You don't dictate the, my life to me. God dictates my life to me. And I want to tell you, I have a covenant with God. And I want to tell you this anyway. Yeah. And I love it. It goes on and he goes on. He says, and he went, he struck it there. Verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, it would be like one of them, seeing has defiled the armies of God. Oh, you love that. How dare he speak against Christians like that? How dare he do that and defile the, the things of God? This in the church, there's like, oh, did you know that's happening in the world? And this is happening and that's happening as well. Did you know this is happening? Was, oh, is that happening? Oh, gee. Is that happening? Oh, gee. I didn't know that. Where are the people who rise up and speak the counsel of God? We are the covenant people. The reason why we do this is because we don't understand covenant. But it's more so than that. See, the problem is, is a lot of people, this is my experience, a lot of people look at Christianity through humanistic eyes. I talked about the other week where the purpose of serving God is to better please myself and better to fix my circumstances and ultimately to get me to heaven and not hell. It's so self-centered. This could make Christianity become the most selfish faith on the earth. If we think like that, and too many do. How do you know that, Pastor Stuart? Because when the pressure comes and the world pushes against us, this clash, this fight, that's two worlds coming together, they don't have what it takes and they fall in and they cave out. And usually what they do is they get angry and start biting people. Biting people. And, and usually what it is, is it's pride. They're embarrassed, they're pride. 
And then they have nothing of God there because God says, I resist, this, I resist the prayer. I don't, I, <laughs> I'm not helping you. But I'll give grace to the humble. And, and they totally miss the opportunity to serve God as it, it isn't God, I didn't get saved for God to fix my circumstances. I got saved to be a witness to the testimony of Jesus. I got saved to, to do something. I, I remember praying before I was even a believer and I said, God, if you're real, I want to live a life that helps others. I want to make a difference because I lived. I didn't need God to fix my problems. I didn't think I had any. Now, Jesus died for our sin. Let's not get it wrong. But there's other side of that too, where he rose again. And that resurrection life lives in us. There's another part to the equation. A lot of people forget. And so what they do is they end up with a problematic faith and not a resurrected faith. So when pressure comes, it becomes really evident. It's not evident when you're worshipping God as much. Well, it is to a degree because a lot of people won't worship unless their circumstances are right, rather than worshipping God because he's just God. And I'm me. I don't feel like worshipping God today. The music's out of tune. The drums are too loud. Who cares? We're bringing the drums harder because your singing is so lousy, we have to cover it up. (laughs) (laughs) Ever thought of it that way? But what it is, it's about honouring the name of Jesus. And this is what David's saying, I want to do this to honour God. I'm not, David's not going in going, I think I'm perfect now, I'm ready to do it. <laughs> yes, I was in the altar call last week and they prayed for me. Pastor Jane even prayed for me, so I'm now, I know I'm right. Rather than going, hang on a minute, I'm not in this because I'm perfect. I'm not in this because God's fixing my... That's not the only thing. I'm in this because God, I, I want you to glorify God. And if I've got some stuff that's got to go, well, then they've got to go. Because that will cause me to be ineffective in the fight. See, the thing in the fight was with David was, he, and this is the difference. This is all the difference. Is David took the confidence into the fight. There's one thing that will cause you not to win a fight, I guarantee. It's lack of confidence. And David took this confidence into the fight. He's not only going, I'm not listening to you, you uncircumcised person that's not even in covenant with God and you're dictating to me the battle strategy. <laughs> but all the men didn't hear that, do they? They were running, hiding behind trees, kissing frogs. It's almost what it says, isn't it? All the men, scared. You've got a 15-year-old boy who gets it. Why? Because he's being prepared. He's, in, he's out in the solitude, seeking God, practicing, training, looking at the Levitical law, cleaning his life up, getting himself sorted out. He's fit, he's embodied, he's ready, he's enabled. He's got a clear mind. He's got someone looking after the sheep. He's not irresponsible. And he knows his covenant. He knows who's in, who's in covenant with. He didn't waste a moment, did this kid. 15-year-old type attitude. You know what I mean? He's representing us. Aren't you glad? And, and what he does is a great example of laziness. Our laziness. <laughs> Isn't he? And you start to think, well, who was the guy that gave David this victory? It was Goliath. 
Think about it, it's a pretty powerful sort of situation because it's almost like you could say Goliath gave the kingdom to David. <laughs> you almost say that, couldn't you? That battle made him who he was. That's when after that point they go, man, this guy's... And you know what God says? It's recorded. God says, this is a man after my own heart. This is the sort of guy I like. That one that doesn't put all his problems first. One that puts the call first. The standard on his life. I'm representing God here. I better do a very good job. And in that becomes exposed all the, the fragility of all this stuff that the world speaks, spits at us. And we, we let the world set our game plan so often. God's going, no, you need to get mine. So when David stepped in the ring, he stepped in with the full confidence that God was with him. And he had God's game plan on it. And he'd practiced it and he knew it. And he believed it and he understood it. And he took that into the, into the ring. 